Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. I want to once again show my appreciation and love to each and every one of you uh, that are listening. God has been doing amazing things. Uh, last week, um, I did announce uh, that me and my wife are having a baby girl uh, due this upcoming September. We are excited about it. Uh, a lot of you uh, have given feedback. Some was team boy, some was team girl. And so uh, somebody was praying really hard uh, to for a baby girl. And so your prayers came through. Uh, we are having a baby girl. So keep us in prayer uh, with that. Also, uh, the book has been doing amazing. Thank you for your support and the feedback. A uh, little over uh, almost 120 reviews on the book. Lives have been changed from all across the world. And um, thank you for you know supporting that. And thank you for letting me know how it's been uh, affecting you. And that's the whole reason we're doing all of this is to help people. And uh, I've had tears in my eyes seeing some of the testimonies and how even after the first two chapters, some of the first five pages, uh, just breaking out into tears because of how prevalent uh, and timely that word is. And uh, I give honor to each and every one of you. Um, uh, I've been working hard. Uh, the Spanish version of the book uh, is going to be out uh, by the end of next week. And so be on the lookout on that. And um, for those that have subscribed, uh, we, we just released um, uh, another Spanish episode and another audio uh, chapter, um, chapter two for... Um, a word to the broken. We released that that other audio. I I, I want to talk about something um, that is near and dear to my heart, and uh, I believe it's going to help a lot of people. And it's found in Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine, verse ten. Verse ten through thirteen. And it came to pass, as Jesus said it, meet in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want to talk about that passage. And uh, if I were to entitle this, I, I would entitle it uh, The Horse and the Healer. And you'll understand that title in a moment. But we have walked through 
the Gospel of Matthew with our church verse by verse uh, for the past year. We started uh, the second week of May 2022. Now we're in Matthew 25 this year. We have been going through the scriptures verse by verse, and it's a it's a powerful thing to do. It helps you understand. Uh, we go through the his, historical and cultural nature of the scripture. We do a study on the author, why God would inspire this author. And um, we, 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 we've gone through many, many different passages. I mean, it's been verse by verse. We haven't missed the scripture. Uh, there's not been one scripture that we have not touched on in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and it's, it's, it's important. Uh, it, it's important. Uh, because the Gospel of Matthew is important because when you hear the words like the Gospel or the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John, uh, the Gospel of Luke, you know, the word Gospel, uh, it means good news. And it means good news, but it's deeper than good news because really the word gospel is used in a military context. It's the uh, the evangelion. That's the Greek word, the evangelion. Uh, the 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 gospel, that Greek term that's used, evangelion, it is a military term that was used through the time of Greece and Rome to announce a victory. Everyone, and that's why they called it good news, because it meant, meant that, that you just, your country, your nation, just won a massive military victory. And that's the good news, Evangelion. They would shout to the top of their lungs, Evangelion. And when everyone heard that, there would be cheers everywhere because it was the announcement of a military victory. Now, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the Evangelion. It is the good news. It is the announcement of a military victory. See, the gospel is not passive. It, 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 is, it is actually aggressive. The, the gospel is not this passive, oh yeah, the good news, the good news, awesome. No, it, it's, it's a message that goes into the darkness, grabs a hold of somebody that's captive and pulls them out into the light. That is the gospel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. As that's what Paul would say in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he said, moreover, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you and by which also you have uh, received uh, and wherein ye stand. And um, he talks about, first of all, you know, that Jesus Christ died for our sins uh, and that secondly, that he was buried, and third, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is uh, the gospel. Later, he would go into on how to obey the gospel through repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Spirit. 
uh, and um, that's our response to the gospel, our belief, our faith, our repentance, uh, taking on his name, being filled with his spirit. That is our biblical response. But what you have to understand is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the gospel. It is the announcement of a military victory that that this message was not for us to be uh, just hear a good message. No, this message is designed to penetrate your mind, your will, your spirit, your heart, and to bring forth transformation. It is to set you free from the powers of darkness into the light of the glorious gospel. See, see, it is a message that goes in and gets the drug addict and, and begins to transform him and deliver him from the captivity of those drugs. It's someone that is tormented by fear, the gospel. The, the good news is, is that what Jesus did for you on the cross and how he defeated death, hell, and the grave that you do not have to be a prisoner to doubt, to fear, to depression, to anxiety, or to sin, but there is a message that can be preached that will go into your prison cell and release you from that prison cell into the power of God. That is the evangelion. The military victory is an announcement of a military victory. The gospel is militant in nature. Whenever the gospel is preached, hell begins to fear, hell begins to worry when you start saying, hey, Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ was buried for you. And Jesus Christ rose again for you. And with because of what he did, by grace, you are saved through faith. Uh, God's grace is when his hand reaches down to you. Your faith is is whenever your hand reaches up to him. And so his grace made a way for you to respond to his grace and faith. Oh my goodness, you're able now to respond to his grace through obedience. And so it is a military victory that you do not have to be captive. You do not have to be captive to the things of the world. Uh, to, to sin. Uh, Paul said, I will not be brought under the power of any. And so it is the evangelion, the military victory. It is an announcement of a military victory. And so when you hear the gospel of Matthew, it is the good news according to Matthew. And so he is announcing to the Jews that there has been a military victory through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They do not have to be a prisoner to sin or a prisoner to the consequences of the law, which had 613 laws in the Old Testament, that they do not have to be a prisoner to that, to the consequences of their sin. But now through what Jesus did, they have the evangelion, a military victory. And Matthew is trying to persuade the Jews that 
Jesus is the Christ. And they were bound by, you know, false religious concepts of the Messiah and what God intended his people to be. They had fallen, they had fallen short of it. And so the entire Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus, you know, confronting uh, old religious systems and trying to bring them into transformation. The gospel is meant to transform. Uh, the word of God is meant to transform. It is meant for us to, to hear and to be transformed by what we are hearing. Um, and and it's a powerful, it's a powerful, powerful thing, the Evangelion, the gospel. Now, Jesus by the time he comes on the scene, he, he gets resisted before he's even born. And he's getting resisted before he's even born because whenever Herod hears that the Messiah is about to be born when the wise men come from the east, Whenever Herod hears that Jesus, that the Messiah is about to be born in Bethlehem, the Bible says in Matthew 2 that when Herod heard it, that he and all of Jerusalem were troubled. That's a crazy concept because Jerusalem was the center of theological activity. Everyone was waiting on the Messiah. But you see, the religious system at the time was built on the expectation of the Messiah coming, but it didn't have room for him to actually come. You see, they had learned to make profit over the idea of Messiah coming. And, but it, this, their system wasn't made for the Messiah to truly come. They were troubled because they knew that when the anointed one comes, when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, that he will start messing up everything. And that when Jesus actually comes, when the Messiah actually comes, that they would actually lose their crowds and that they would actually have to confess their need for something other than themselves, that they would have to confess their need for the Messiah. And these were religious people that never uh, wanted to show that they were in need of something other than themselves. They felt like they were the authority. And so for Messiah to come, it would mean that the crowds would leave the synagogue and follow the Messiah wherever he went. And you would see the fulfillment of this when Jesus would operate in his ministry at 30. He would go to the desert and 5,000 would come to him in the desert. He would go to the seashore and multitudes would follow him to the seashore. The crowds were so big that he had to go into Peter's house and Peter's house was so packed with people uh, that they had to tear off the roof to hear what he had to say. And so Jesus was a thorn in the system side, because anywhere Jesus was, he took full uh, attention from everything else but him. And the religious system had a problem with this. And so they were conspiring to kill him 
uh, by the age of two when Herod sent them out to Bethlehem to destroy all the children uh, ages two and younger. Uh, And it was because that Jesus, wherever he goes, he expects his full attention. And when anyone is trying to bring the attention away from Jesus to themselves, they will make sure they persecute anything that represents Jesus. And he was a thorn in their side um, because he he was exposing uh, the hypocrisy uh, that the system was showing where he would say, he said, hey, do what the Pharisees tell you to do. He said, but don't do after their works because they say it, but they don't do it. And man, the religious system was, was, was intimidated by that type of rhetoric. And Jesus was love manifested in the flesh. You know, God is love. He was love manifested in the flesh, but the Bible would say that he would turn over tables as he condemned those religious practices because of their intentions and motives that were uh, unpure, uh, impure, because they they had made the religious system in the temple as a way to make money and a way to profit where it became a den of thieves and it wasn't a house of prayer anymore. It had become more of a business instead of a relationship with God. And so Jesus is love manifested in the flesh. He's God manifested in the flesh and God is love. He is love, but he goes into these temples and he flips over tables. And he flips over tables, watch this, yet he never ceases to be love. You've got to catch that. That's, that's profound. You see, he is love, but he flips over tables. And as he's flipping over tables and condemning the practices of the Pharisees, he never ceases to be love, meaning he is doing these things in love. He is doing these things in love. You you have to hear this. Uh, Judgment and love are not exclusive to one another. See, he didn't cast aside his nature of love to condemn the religious leaders. He actually did it in love because he died for them as well, just like he died for the lame, the sick, the broken Uh, the Gentiles, the Jews. He also died for the Pharisees, scribes, and the chief priests. You see, what he was doing was he was doing judgment in time to save them from the consequences of eternal judgment. And so, Many times in God's love, he will bring judgment in time to keep us from being eternally separated from him in eternity, where there is eternal judgment. Many times judgment precedes love. Many times you can't really see love until you experience some form of judgment, where the scripture states who the Lord loves He corrects. See, correction doesn't mean lack of love, meaning 
sometimes correction is a is a display of love. If you are going to run off of a cliff, if I don't love you, I'm not going to say anything. But if I love you, I'm going to chase you down. I'm going to grab you and say, hey, don't go there. Out of love. It's like your child uh, wanting to touch the stove. Now, now, what people will try to say to you is, let your child touch the stove if you love her. But that's not love. That's, that's ignorance if you allow them to touch the stove while it's hot. So, so if your child is about to touch the stove, you have to release a judgment and say, hey, don't do that. Why are you saying that? It's because you love her. So you have to understand when Jesus is rebuking these Pharisees and Sadducees, it's not from a place of, of uh, uh, it's not from an evil place. It's actually from a loving place because he would even die for them on the cross. What That's powerful. The people that are conspiring to put him on the cross, Jesus dies for them. This is what Matthew is trying to get to the Jews is that, is that the Jews were resisting Jesus since the beginning, yet he still died for them. And what Matthew was showing the Jews here in his book is, is that the Gentiles were traveling 500 to 800 miles to come and see Jesus, while the Jews in close proximity, they were rejecting Jesus. And Matthew is showing that Jesus is Messiah, not just for the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And that the Gentiles were reflecting more hunger for Jesus than the Jews were, even though he came to the Jews first. This is what Matthew is doing, and it's masterful. Because Matthew is presenting Jesus as the the new Moses, a Moses that doesn't lead you out of Egypt, but a Moses that leads you out of sin. A Moses that doesn't lead you out of Egyptian bondage, but that leads you out of sinful bondage. And, and this is what Matthew is doing in his gospel. And, uh, and it's profound how he's doing it because Jesus is love, but he never ceases to be love um, even while he is uh, judging uh, the religious community. He does it in love because he wants to spend an eternity with them so he will allow judgments now. And you would see the fulfillment of this in Acts chapter 2 whenever many of the Jews would hear Peter preach the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these Jews would get pricked in their heart and actually repent, be baptized in his name, and be filled with his spirit, 3,000 Jews in a single day responded, and these Jews were guilty of, of putting him on the cross, but they would now be taking on his name in baptism. Wow, what a turnaround. And, and it's because Jesus isn't trying to get these religious leaders destroyed. He's trying to get them in a position of dependency so they can be transformed later after he would resurrect and ascend into heaven and that they would receive the power 
of the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Father later. So you have to understand that there's that even some judgments, God does it in love. So you don't live eternally separated from him when your life is over. And that God is, and that's in love. So he flipped every table in love. He called the Pharisees and Sadducees hypocrites in love. He could not deny who he was. And that was the issue with the religious community, that the only way for Jesus to survive the, the persecution of the Jews was for him to deny himself. And if you look at whenever he was on the cross, on the cross it said, this lay his accusation. Here is Jesus, the king of the Jews. That was his accusation, his accusation that he was Jesus, the king of the Jews. And so I preached the message years ago called Breaking the Limitations, and I talked about how it was a crime for Jesus to be him. Well, what is his accusation? What did he do wrong? Oh, it's Jesus, king of the Jews. It was a crime to be him. Where the only way for him to survive and not go to that cross was for him to deny himself. Oh my goodness. It was to deny his identity. Oh my word. And, and, and so this is this is this is a powerful concept because whenever Jesus gets thrown before uh, the high priest, they say, they said, are you the Messiah? And he said, thou sayest. They said, are you the Messiah, the son of God? He said, thou sayest. And they rent their coat and said, they said, this is blasphemy. They said, this is blasphemy. What do you do when it's blasphemous to be you? Where you have to tone yourself down to have friends. Where, where you can't really be who you are lest you get persecuted. You have to restrain. You have to dilute yourself. You have to pretend like you're not great. You get nervous when people start patting you on the back saying you did this great, you did that, because you know the more that, that you reveal who you are, the more uh, liable you are to be persecuted. But you have to learn to just thank God to be you. Jesus it was a crime to be him. And whenever he was on the cross, they said, if you're the son of God, come off of the cross, where they said, the only way we'll believe that you're the Messiah, you're the son of God, is if you abort your assignment. His whole assignment is to die on the cross. He was born to die on the cross. Yet they say, we won't believe you're the son of God unless you get out of your God-given assignment. My word, it was a crime to be him. And Jesus was just breaking the boxes. And I talked about boxes. Like, I remember years ago, I was on these flights and I looked out and it was at night and I noticed that everything was shaped in square. The buildings were square. At night, the lights, all the lights were in square. Everything was square. And as I looked at everything was square, I looked at open farmland and open farmland. They put squares in the farmland. And, and I started thinking about it. In math, they say it's square root, square inches, square cubits, uh, square miles. And I, I started thinking of when people uh, talk about uh, traveling or, or giving directions, they say, go down the block. 
And I started noticing that that everything is in a box. Everything's in a box. And that's 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 an issue because if anyone the culture subtly speaks to us to say, never think out of the box, never act out of the box, never try to be more than mediocre, deny your greatness to feel comfortable. And you got to break that box. Jesus broke that box. He did not fit into the mold. He did not fit into what was going on in his culture. And it was a crime to be him because what Jesus was doing is he was exposing these religious leaders' hearts that refused to repent, refused to acknowledge their need for God. And so I spent these last 28 minutes building up to this text. I just wanted to give you the setting that's going on here uh, because Matthew starts following Jesus and he's a tax collector. And the tax collectors were looked down on in the Jewish community because they would collect the taxes for Rome and they'd make sure that they would charge interest uh, so they could have something to bring home for them as well. And so they were despised by the Jewish community. But Matthew decides uh, to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is in the house and he's eating with publicans and sinners. And when the religious community saw this, they were like, what are you doing hanging out with publicans and sinners? You're supposed to be like super holy. You're supposed to like, you know, uh, walk away from them and act like you're this, act like you're that. But Jesus was doing something different because true, true love doesn't avoid brokenness or doesn't avoid people in need. True love is drawn to people in need. That's, that's what pure religion is. Uh, Pure, pure religion is taking care of the widows. True religion is, is, is uh, an undefiled religion is, is reaching for everybody, not just people with money, not just people with prestige, not just celebrities, not just the popular, but reaching for the homeless, reaching for the broken, reaching for the hurting, reaching for those with rough backgrounds. And that's where Jesus just messed everything up because he wasn't supposed to touch the leper, but he did. He wasn't supposed to heal the blind, but he did. These were people that were cut off from society that had nothing to offer, yet, yet Jesus is reaching for them and making them feel valuable and important to community. He was messing up the entire structure. And, and these religious leaders had a problem with it. And so finally, Jesus responds to them and says, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And the truth of the matter is what Jesus is confronting here is, is that anybody that pretends like they have it all together, they will never confess their need for a healer. People that pretend and they're, they're like robots, you know, like they've never, they've never had a need for anything. They put on the church smile when they show up. They got their hair done just right, their suit just right, their dress just right. They're always well put together. They never cry. They never open up. It's all these boundaries. It's all these walls. They never confess their need. And because they never confess their need, they never get healed. 
because they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And that is so powerful because Jesus is confronting these religious leaders and says, listen, my ministry can't help you if you never confess your need for me. And Jesus cannot help us if we never confess our need for him. See, because everyone needs Jesus, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, uh, whether you're an actor, an actress, whether you're, uh, whether you're a president, uh, a secretary, uh, a mayor, uh, whether wh- whoever you are, a, a lawyer, um, a, a business owner, uh, or whether you're, you're, you're homeless, whether you, whether you work at a fast food restaurant, whether whatever wherever part of life you are, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, you need Jesus. And if we never confess our need for him or for a healer, then we will never get healed. That's what he is confronting here. He's saying, you Pharisees pretend like you're so perfect and, and, and you're condemning those that are gathering around me to be healed because they're confessing that they're sick. So I, as a healer, am meeting that need. But, but you Pharisees, you're also sick. See, but you're not sick just in your behaviors, you're sick in your attitude. You're sick in your in, in your internal, in your heart. You're, you're sick on the inside. In the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and you need me to come in and heal that. But because you won't confess that need, I can't help you. You see, that is the secret to healing and being transformed and being touched by God. It's your admission that you need him. My, my greatest secret to my ministry is that I need God. I was telling someone recently uh, about a fast that I was doing. And I said, but hey, don't look at me like I'm spiritual because I'm fasting. I said, don't look at me like that. I said, I'm fasting because I need God. And no matter what God does in Victor Jackson's life, I, I, can, I will never graduate to a point where I do not need God. Uh, Our book has been a number one bestseller on Amazon, but no matter how many copies that are sold, I will never graduate from not needing God. I need God. I will never graduate to a place where I don't need God. Um, This podcast goes to 100 nations. 100 nations are listening Every week, it doesn't matter how many nations are listening. I need God. And that's my secret. That's what makes me go after him. That's what makes me want to spend time with him. That's what makes me want to go after him uh, with with sincerity because I'll never get to a place where I do not need God. That's the secret. I need him. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That, that word poor, it is describing a beggar that would, that would put their right arm over their face and reach out their left hand asking for money, bowing, asking for money. And God says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, meaning those that stay in a position that says, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. God says, I I will pour out a blessing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven because they never got to a place where, where they feel like they have arrived. 
And that's what he's trying to speak to these Pharisees in love. He said, listen, they, they that are whole don't need a physician, but they that are sick. And he said, go learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You see, people were measuring their spirituality by how much they sacrifice. But he said, no, you don't understand. It's about, it's about mercy. It's about mercy. And everyone has to confess their need that I need God. Everyone needs to confess that dependency. I need God. Everyone needs to confess that hole in their heart. I need God. There was a man that wrote a book called The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. It's the number one philosophy book. Very short read. You can read the whole book in maybe 10 to 15 minutes. And he talks about these, uh, a boy, a, a mole, and a, a fox, and a horse uh, on a journey together encountering life. And the boy meets the mole first, and all the mole wants is cake, and then meets the fox. All the fox wants is the mole. And as they walk together, their desires change. And the mole's desires change. And the fox doesn't want to eat the mole anymore. He just wants to spend time with them. And they encounter a horse, and the horse is a representation of strength. And there are these sayings in these books that this book that is incredible because he asked the horse, he said, he said, what is the he saw the horse with all this strength. He's the biggest one out of all of them. And he asked the horse, and he asked the horse, what is the bravest thing that you have ever asked? And the horse replied, help. Help. He said that was the bravest thing he had ever asked help. And, and that is the bravest thing that you and I could ever do is to ask for help. My word. And, and many of us will be delivered from the, the cycles and the things that we are, have been going through if we learn to ask God for help and to ask people for help. And, and God is waiting for somebody on this podcast to reach out in prayer and say, God, help. I need you. I've been trying. I've been doing my best. I've, I've done everything I could. Help. It's the bravest thing that you could ever say. Later, they would ask the horse. They ask, they ask the horse, when, what is the strongest moment of your life? He said, what, what is the strongest moment of your life? And the horse responded, when I dared to show my weakness. And then the horse said, help isn't a sign. When you ask for help, it isn't a sign of giving up. It, is, it means that you have refused to give up. To ask for help means you're still in the fight. 
My goodness. If you're at war and you ask for help, it doesn't mean you're giving up the war. It means that you're still fighting. You just need some support. My goodness, I'm talking to somebody right now. See, when you ask God for help, it doesn't mean that you've given up. It means that you're still fighting, but you just need help from another world. When you ask help from a person, it doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're strong. It means you have the courage to not quit. It means you have the courage to keep fighting. And sometimes the greatest thing that you can ever ask for is help. But it takes laying aside that pride it takes, that's what God was trying to bring the Pharisees to a place of asking for help. That's why Nicodemus would come by night because he was afraid for ask for help in, in public. He had to do it in private. I'm just asking somebody listening right now, get the courage to ask for help. You've been dealing with depression for too long. You've been dealing with the pain for too long. You've been in the cycle for too long. You've had the marital conflict for too long. You've had, you've had the fear of rejection for too long. Now you've got to come to God and say, help, help. So some people uh, refuse to ever go to any type of counseling or therapy because that's the, oh, the word that they're scared of help. they rather pretend than ask for help. they rather put walls up than ask for help. There are things that no one knows about you because you act so perfect. The only thing they know about you is your perfection. They don't know where you come from. They don't know how old you are. They don't know what your profession is because you're so guarded. All they know is that you're perfect. It takes a lot of courage to ask for help. That's what I'm doing in this podcast episode is for you to express your dependency and your need for God by asking for help, to dare to show weakness, to dare to be vulnerable, help. God wants to help you. If you pretend to be whole, Jesus' presence can be all around you, but he won't come and heal you because you haven't confessed your need for him. But those that confess and say, God, I'm sick. I, I, I need you. I, I, I need you to, to, to do something in me. The healer is there. And when you open your mouth and say, help, he comes down in a moment to come and minister to your needs. The bravest thing you could ever say is help. And it's a testimony because it means you've refused to give up. I want to talk about another horse, Alexander the Great's horse. And Alexander the Great's horse, Bucephalus, he would bring to every battle he fought. Uh, Macedonia was a small country that Alexander the Great uh, multiplied into a uh, thousands and thousands of miles. He conquered territories uh, everywhere. I mean, he stretched out Greece everywhere. I mean, he was he was an incredible uh, uh, conqueror and that made a, a deep impact on his, history. And he was so profound that. He had this horse that he would bring with them into, into war. Now, Alexander the Great, like, he had issues. Like, he 
He was a war general. He he was guilty of a lot of things that are terrible, but he's forever etched in history because of his military uh, military intelligence. But Alexander the Great, he had a horse named Bucephalus that this story is told so much uh, on how he met this horse because Alexander was young. He was maybe 17 years old at the time. And his dad, Philip, uh, king of Macedonia, uh, leader of Macedonia, um, he loved buying horses. And so there was a horse that was presented named uh, Bucephalus. And this horse was very wild. Uh, it was wild. People tried to tame it to come and present it before Philip, but uh, they couldn't tame it. It was knocking people off. And so uh, Philip didn't want to buy the horse, but Alexander the Great looked at his dad and said, Dad, I can tame this horse. I know what the issue is. And they said, this kid's young. He can't tame this horse. He's young. He's weak. You know, he, he can't tame this horse. This horse is too strong to be tamed. And Alexander the Great said, trust me, I could do it. So Philip said, go ahead. If you can tame it, I'll buy it for you. Alexander the Great went up and approached Bucephalus, this horse, and the horse was just going crazy. And all Alexander the Great did was steer the horse's face towards the sun. And when he steered the horse's face towards the sun, the horse started calming down. And Alexander the Great got on top of the horse and, and rode that horse into the sun and the horse was tamed from that moment as they started riding toward the sun. And what Alexander the Great discovered was that the horse was afraid of its shadow. And because the horse was afraid of its shadow, the only answer was to turn its face towards the sun and go closer to the sun and the fear would dissipate. And the, and, the, and the anxiety would dissipate as long as its face was toward the sun and going closer to the sun. That's what I'm telling you about right now. Your answer to your deliverance is to turn your face towards the sun, the son of God. Turn your face towards Jesus. Go closer towards Jesus. And as long as you turn your face and go towards Jesus, closer to Jesus, you're going to see the fear dissipate. You're going to see the pain dissipate. You're going to see it dissipate. But you've got to make up your mind today that I'm going to draw closer to the sun, the horse and the healer. If you want to be healed, you got to confess your need to be healed. If you want to be healed, you need to confess your insufficiency. You need to confess your inadequacy. And, and, and come to Jesus today. I need you. I, I, I need you, Jesus. Some people, there are some people that will never utter those words because they want to be such so in control. But I'm telling you, the key to your deliverance, the key to things changing in your life and in your family is when you start coming to God and saying, help. There are people, you, you don't be afraid to, to go to therapy. Don't get, be afraid to go to marriage counseling. 
Because you know why? It's a testament of you saying, help. And those things can, can, can minister to you. But ultimately, the, the one that can take care of all of your needs is Jesus Christ. But he's just waiting on you to say that one word, help. Help. That's all Jesus was trying to get the, the Pharisees to do. That's why he was doing these judgments, because they were acting like they had no need for God. And all they needed to do is say those words, that word, help. It's like you being on an island, being stranded on an island, and there's 30 planes that, that fly over your head every day. And you're getting bitter because no one's coming to rescue you on this abandoned island. When all you have to do, you have sticks, you have rocks all on that island. All you have to do is write the words in the sand, SOS. That's it. SOS is a cry for help. SOS is a cry for help. And there's 30 planes that are waiting to see SOS on your island. But you're getting mad that nobody's reaching out and nobody's helping you when you won't even write SOS. No one even knows you're on the island. No one even knows you're on the island of depression. No one knows you're on the island of anxiety. No one knows you're on the island of fear. You have yet to say that word, help. You have yet to say SOS. Those planes are always searching for anyone that needs help. But the first requirement is somebody has to ask for help. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to come in and heal but you have to do your responsibility and ask for help. Do like that horse in that philosophy book. Dare to ask for help. That's when you're bravest. That's when you have the most courage when you say help. Do like Bucephalus, Alexander the Great's war horse. Turn your face to the Son of God and don't stop running. My word, you can face any foe. You can face any enemy as long as your face is going towards the Son of God. The horse and the healer ask for help. My word, Hebrews uh, chapter four says it this way. Chapter four, verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Wow. There is grace to help in time of need. You see, Jesus, the ultimate form of humility that Jesus showed is that he was the, the creator. He is God in the flesh. But Jesus could not change the world just from the heavenlies. He had to become flesh. He had to come and take on humanity. And how humbling it is when he took on humanity. Listen to this, guys. Because in that humanity, he had to be helped. Wow. God 
had to be helped. He had to be nurtured by Mary as an infant. Help. Wow. Help. 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 He stayed in Lazarus' house. He needed a place to stay. Help. He stayed in Peter's house. He needed a place to stay. Help. As a matter of fact, even whenever he's on the goes to the cross, he has so many wounds on his body. They had sheep bone and metal that ripped his skin. He was bloody. He was disfigured. And he couldn't even carry his own cross. They needed to ask Simon from Cyrene to help. Even God, when he took on flesh, needed help to complete his assignment. How humbling he is. He needed help from someone that he created, Simon from Cyrene. Help. And Simon got alongside with Jesus and helped him carry his cross to Golgotha. Even God needed help when he was in the flesh. If God was willing to have help, how much more should you ask for help? Because I'm telling you, you can come boldly to the throne of grace to upturn mercy so, so you can find grace to help in time of need. But God is waiting on somebody listening here to ask those that word help. You won't be judged. You won't be condemned. You won't be uh, um, cast aside or abandoned. God wants to heal you, but he's just waiting on that word. Help. Learn from the horse and the healer. That horse asked for help. You should ask for help. They that are whole need not a physician. As long as we pretend like everything's okay, there, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. But when you're willing to say, God, I need you, everything changes. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, who was in control of the services of the synagogue, when his daughter was about to die, he ran to Jesus and asked for help. He ran to the Son of God and asked for help. And everything changed in his house when he asked for help. I'm speaking to somebody listening right now. Everything's going to change in your house. Everything's going to change in your ministry. Everything's going to change in your business when you start asking for help. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.